I think you can use any brew method, you can use any water. Um, you just need to be flexible and you need to realize that in the end of the day, this is a taste competition. So it's about how your coffee is tasting. If your coffee is not tasting, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what approach you have. It doesn't matter how good your presentation is. You focus on the coffee. Earlier this year, we placed second best in the World Brewers Championship in Boston. And what we have here is a reflection episode where I basically analyze everything we did with our competition. So we also released this as videos on YouTube, but for those of you that rather listen, this is the audio version of it. We hope that this can be helpful for any of you out there that is looking to compete in coffee competitions. Thank you guys for, for tuning in and listening. Enjoy. Welcome. We're back and this time we're going to do things a bit differently. I'm just back from the World Brewers Championship in Boston where I managed to get to second place. And what we want to do here is share, reflect, to some degree analyze um, my whole kind of trip to the World Championships, being at the World Championships, um, what went right, what went wrong, right? So first of all, and I should say this, and it's something that I advocate um, quite often and quite clearly, is that, I mean, always learn from the best. Um, we're very aware we're second place, we're not the first place. There was things we could have done better, and the videos that we're doing now is, is in no way, is simply to share what we did, uh, whether that was a good or a bad thing to do. That's up to you guys to decide, but at least you have the opportunity of basically seeing or getting an insight in what I did. So if there's something useful there, then you guys can use it um, as well. So we're basically going to do 12 small videos, each kind of focusing on different subjects that uh, I believe to be have been important in this process. And the first video and part of this one, um, I just want to talk a bit about the national competition uh, because, you know, that's step one. Um, people ask me if I want to compete again. Um, I mean, the answer to that is pretty clear and I think you guys know as well. I, I, I always compete because competing is about learning. Uh, it's not necessarily about getting certain results. I think results is a result of you um, practicing and learning. Uh, I will be competing for as long as I'm in, in coffee. Which competition I will compete in, that will be a different story. However, it's important to understand, and I've, I've seen people do this in Boston now, I've seen people do it before, um, and I know it's hard to relate to if you haven't been in the World Championship, but your national competition and your world competition are two vastly different things. Uh, people often argue that it's part of the same system, so the judges should be very similarly calibrated. Um, your points in the national should be representative of the world scores. It's, it very clearly isn't. Um, we've seen countries that goes into the, the world championship with a national score of open service 90 plus up towards 100. Uh, and they go into the world championship and the score much lower. And, Part of that is the calibration of the judges. Part of that is that it is the world championship. They're looking for more. They're looking for you to be better. So 
from, from my perspective, I changed quite a lot from my national in Sweden in, in February and, and being in Boston now. Uh, I mainly changed because I believe that for every time you compete, you should always do better, right? There's no use in doing the same because there's always a better version of what you have done. So therefore, it, it makes sense to try to progress there, right? Um, I mean, from, from someone then that's been competing first in, in the Brazil championship and now in the Boston championship, there's differences between the, the, um, the world championships, right? So even there, it depends on how the panel is, panel of judges are calibrated. It depends on who is judging. Uh, it depends on a lot of different variables. So it's, it's never been a situation where you feel that, oh, I scored really high in, in my national or I won my national and therefore I can be kind of comfortable to go to the world championship and just do the same because most likely it's not going to work out for you because they are looking for different things. They're putting it on a higher level, which I think they should because it is the world championship, right? Um, so keep that in mind and... and really take help with people in your national for the world championship. And I mean, that's interesting because it works the other way around. It's, it's not necessarily that you can, you know, go back to your national and then use all the feedback in the world championship because sometimes the national judges are also not looking for the world championship judges, right? So each competition is very difficult and, and this should be handled and focused um, individually. So this was the first part of it. Um, stay tuned for more. We're back with part two of our reflections from the World Brewers Championship in, in Boston. And here I want to talk about preparation uh, and practice. Um, I mean, one, one can argue that my preparation started, started one year ago. Um, I knew when, when competing in, or, or two years ago maybe, I know when competing for, for the Brazil World Championship um, and the national there, I knew the competitions would be very close together. Uh, just a few months apart, Brazil and Boston. So my, my goal was really to kind of make it big in, in, in Boston, um, which we didn't manage to do, but, but that was the goal and the process. So, but a, a bit more specific. So how do I actually approach these kind of things? What do I practice on? I mean, we obviously have two parts of the competition um, being the open service and the compulsory service. Um, we're going to go into more to details here. I really just want to generalize like our practicing, practicing with who and so on and so on. So um, basically since the last four months, I've been practicing every day. Um, when I say every day, I mean a relatively limited short amount of time. So I've been basically practicing for roughly 40 minutes every single day, um, which usually contains two presentations. Um, those presentations are not in front of anyone. They're actually just in front of myself. Um, these days I don't necessarily record myself that often. I do that every once in a while just to see if I'm on track. Um, but I think interestingly, what, what I usually do is I practice, I practice my pouring and I practice the presentation in general. Um, I practice, which, which I think has been very helpful. I've been practicing doing wrong things. So I've been practicing what happens if my water kettle is not where it should be in terms of temperature. I've been practicing what happens if I drop this. I've been practicing what happens if I only have two you know, doses and not three that I need. Um, what happens if I do different stupid mistakes? And I think the more you practice on those, the more you get secure the more you know that if I stand on the stage and something happens on the worlds, uh, I can, I'm going to be able to deal with that. 
Uh, I made a conscious decision not to do it in front of everyone. Uh, I do, it's the same with Brazil. I do my presentation in front of, uh, you know, I do it once in front of people before I compete. Um, and that's, that's always basically bringing in Capo uh, from Capping Room because he's amazing. Uh, I know that his feedback is, is really valid. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity of working with him as a coach or I, I haven't really worked with a coach. Um, I use a lot of different people to kind of just ask questions, um, have them taste what I do. Um, but I'm also very aware of the fact that I, I believe competition needs to be or, or is always a sum or a representation of where you are now. So it's a very personal thing competing. Um, I don't mind working with coaches. I've seen other competitors become a lot better with coaches. Um, I think that's a solid approach to have. I just don't necessarily think it's my approach to have. So. Um, Preparation and practice has really been, I mean, uh, tiny sessions of practice leading up to the competition. Um, not necessarily increasing or decreasing that amount, really keeping it straightforward. Um, during the days in, in Boston, I did the same thing. So I kept on my 40 kind of minute rule. Uh, that was the same on competition day as well, just to kind of prepare myself and also, uh, you know, keep my mind focused and, and show it that it's, you know, this is just what I'm doing every single day. It's nothing different. I think this is a mindset thing. And I think that practicing properly will lead you up to that. And if you get to that point, you're going to get really, really comfortable and focused on stage. Um, it's been a lot of mental work, um, perhaps more so than actual physical coffee work. Um, mental work in the sense that, you know, it, it, in the World Championship, everyone has amazing coffees. Everyone has amazing uh, presentations. It's about who can crystallize that in those 10 minutes of the first round and, and then qualify, right? It's about who can bring out the best version of what they do right then and there. That's the main, that's the main thing. And I think to be able to do that, you need to be in the right headspace. You need to have focused and, and practiced on that. Um, and you know you need to believe in the in the sense that you you can win. I always say, and I've said to many people asking me before the competition, uh, you know, how will it go in Boston, and what is your goal? And our goal was to win. I mean, we obviously didn't succeed with that, which kind of sucks. But you know that that was our goal, and it's a, it's a twofold process because it's not about us being pretentious and think that we're so much better than other people. Uh, it's about, on one hand, realize that if you want to win this, you need to believe in the fact that you can win and you need to practice on a level that will generate those results. On the second hand, uh, you need perspective and you need to realize that it's difficult to compete. There's a lot of variables you don't control. Um, you can only control your own performance. You can't control what other people do. So therefore, you know, it's, it's, you're more likely not to win, right? Which is a different part of it. But you need to be able to have two balances. You can't be arrogant um, because there's so much to learn. There's so much to understand. And you need to learn that to become better. But you also can't be going up to the world being like, oh, I'm just going to have fun. Um, or you can, but you're not going to win, right? So um, the, the people that practice more than you do, the people that invest more than you do, they're going to win. And that's how it is. And that's how it should be, I believe, as well. Um, because it's a world championship, right? It's, it's difficult. It's about actually bringing your A game. It's about showing the world what can we do in terms of coffee. How can we make coffee taste? Um, so I think that's a really important part. Um, then again, we're all different. And it's a very personal thing uh, in terms of how you, how you want to prepare. Um, but I mean, prepare because it's not, it's not going to become easier. And 
um, as we said in the previous video as well, it's a big difference from your national and the world championship. So you really kind of need to uh, step up the game. Um, I think one of the hardest part in Brazil, and I'm not necessarily saying that I succeeded with that as well, is that, uh, I mean, you really need to find your kind of everyday groove, basing from like, you know, you need to eat the same, sleep the same, train the same. Um, I know we're not doing sports here, but it's still, I mean, it's, it's um, you need to be in a good, good peace of mind. Uh, you need to have good focus. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do your best version up on stage. That's just not the case, right? So you need to be very comfortable. Surround yourself with people that you trust and you, you know, knew can, can do good shit for you. Um, and, um, I mean, a big part of the preparation has been also obviously practicing the compulsory, um, which, I mean, we, we did fairly wrong there. I mean, we're going to have a separate compulsory video, so we're going more, more in depth there. But for compulsory, we, what we did is that we practiced on, on the kind of coffees that we thought it would be there, which is washed coffees, roasted to a certain degree according to the rules. And we went there and we found something very different, and then that made it very complicated, right? Um, but, I mean, you live and you learn, and now we know that. Um, but I mean, the, the main focus have really been practicing on the open service. The open service is important. Make sure your compulsory is down and versatile. Um, I mean, simple stuff as in when I practice for my open service, I don't use any coffee. Um, don't mix, let's say, preparation or presentation practice with taste practice. They're two very different things. And if you're trying to do everything, every single round you do, you're going to be in there for ages. Um, and you're going to be so high on caffeine that you don't even know what you're doing. So most of my training has been pouring in, in basically empty filters or empty ceramic filters with a paper filter in to just keep the flow rate relatively similar. Uh, so just practicing my, my pouring, making sure that it's in, within the right time. Um, practice whole presentation, but you know, without wasting coffee, which is kind of a good thing. Um, and again, make it difficult for yourself. Don't, don't practice on the best scenarios. Um, if we had the best scenarios, everything would be super easy. Practice on, on, you know, what happens if I do this wrong? What happens if I do this wrong? Um, what do I do if my brews are one minute longer than I intended? You know, what do I do if this happened? What do I do if this happened? Uh, maybe I forgot to rinse my filters. How do I deal with that, right? So, so practice on, on the, you know, the mistakes that can actually happen when you're there on stage. Um, and, and practice continuously rather than doing everything at the same time. I mean, again, it's up to you guys how you want to do it, but I've always believed in, again, this goes back to Capo, uh, which said something f that for me changed everything in terms of competing, um, where he basically said, well, Patrick, competing is about showcasing where you are now, as in you're never better than where, where you are now, meaning that it needs to be a representation or it is a representation of how, you good, how good are you on a daily basis, right? So you need to incorporate, if you want to win, you need to act um, and brew and, and deal with coffee as someone that would win on every single day. You can't just wait to do that on, a, on you know, two days in a competition. And I think with that comes a confidence and, and a security in your presentation that I think is really interesting. So, you know, it's, it's so competing is a representation of how good you are and you need to own up to that, right? We didn't win, that means we're not the best in the world, which kind of sucks. But now we know that, realizing that there's stuff we need to get better at and then I'll make sure to get better at that, right? So we can always learn. We can always learn from anyone, whether it's people that are better than you, worse than you, um, the same level on you, right? Um, 
and you need to accept that and embrace that as a concept. So that was uh, what I had about preparation and in uh, practice. Thank you guys for, for watching as always. We're back with the part three, if I remember this correctly. There's too many videos now. We're back with the part three of our kind of, you know, um, World Brewers Championship Boston experience, where we're just walking through some of the things that we believe are, are really important, uh, at least for us, sharing what we have done. And uh, if there's something in there that can help you, we're, we're happy with that. Um, so green coffee. Um, Really interesting question, really interesting process. I think most of you, if you've seen my presentation, then you know what kind of coffee I work with. Um, a natural anaerobic fermented geisha varietal from a farm called Datota in Costa Rica. Um, the farm is very important here. Maybe most importantly is Esteban, the, the producer of the coffee. So Esteban works for a larger mill. Um, that he basically sources and scouts really good green coffee and then he takes it and he processes that. So it's not processed by the farmer. And he is um, a, a person that kind of made, or a big part of making anaerobic fermentations famous in Costa Rica, uh, or, or what other people refer to cinnamon coffees. Now, I tried that coffee the first time last year from um, uh, Matthew competing in the, the World Barista. And I mean, I tried, I, tried, I remember a friend of mine gave me the espresso and I, and I tried it. And I was like, I was so convinced that was his signature beverage because I thought it mixed a bunch of stuff in it because it was the most flavor intense and one of the most complex coffees I've ever had. And I knew right then and there that, uh, you know, that was the coffee I wanted to compete with. Um, or, or, well, that's not true because it wasn't the coffee I ended up competing with. I wanted to compete with something more complex because we spent some time with that coffee um, after Amsterdam and brewed it in a few different ways. And I mean, it does taste like cinnamon quite a lot. However, it only tasted like cinnamon. So we needed more complexity in the coffee, a higher level of complexity in the coffee. Um, so I was in contact with Esteban for almost six months talking about how can we make this happen. And then I went and visited them um, just a few weeks ago in Costa Rica as well to pick the coffee, uh, basically for my national. And we, we always talked about a geisha varietal. He hadn't done it before with a geisha varietal. And I thought the process needed a stronger varietal to, to showcase a wider range of complexity in the coffee. So as you guys know, I'm, I'm not a fan of only being able to taste processing in the coffee. Um, I want to taste uh, a lot more different things. I want to be able to taste really um, clean, good stuff. And with, with that in mind, I kind of changed my focus. And uh, we were looking at this varietal. And it, the thing is, when the first time I cupped it, it created these really beautiful characters that we weren't aware of before in just this processing. So we had a lot more complexity to it. Um, so that's how I actually found the coffee and which coffee I used. But it's also kind of interesting to, to reflect on the fact on what kind of coffee should you have? What is a good coffee? What is a bad coffee? Um, it should be stated that three of the people in the final in Boston have the same coffee, which is the kind of highest tier of 90 plus geisha coffee. Uh, a coffee that I have tried many times um, and, and chose not to use. Um, does it mean it's not an amazing coffee? No, it is a pretty extraordinary coffee. 
in the sense that it will taste extremely different from most of the coffees you will ever taste. Um, but the issue for me there is that it just wasn't a representation of what we're looking for um, at April. We're looking for clean stuff with, with clean flavor integrity where you can you know, taste the work of the farmer more so than the work of the processing. Uh, and I think we found that in, in this coffee. Um, I mean, in general, what we can see backstage, we see a bunch of natural processed coffees. Um, I should say, and, and you know, this is not necessarily a critique. It can also be a, just a taste perception, but I've actually never been in a situation where I tasted so many alcoholic, kind of rum-like fermented coffees from all over the place, different farms and different origins. But it seems like that was really the focus this year where a lot of people went for these really, really alcoholic fermented coffees, um, which, which I'm definitely not a fan of. Uh, I think one of the most interesting parts of the, this year's competition was uh, a wash process Catuai from Fiketa Kesi in Bolivia that placed number six. And he scored extremely high on his open, second highest in the open service um, in the first round with wash process Catuai, which, uh, you know, that's, uh, this still amazes me. And I mean, if there's anything I've understood from this competition is that people, you know, do you have to have a funky process case to win this? No, definitely not. Um, is it time to maybe even bring a wash coffee? Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's, that's pretty interesting because I, was, I think I see the score sheet from a different perspective. Again, uh, calibration is, is, you know, different from, from different years and with different judges. So it also depends on on who you have and what they're looking for. The rumor this year backstage, uh, at least starting in Boston, was that they're looking for cleaner coffees. Not sure where that rumor came from, but that's kind of what people said. Um, so again, my, my process of chosen green coffee, I mean, I had this, this coffee in mind for a very long time. With that, I worked with some other coffees as well up until about one week from competition. Um, I worked, first worked with four different coffees, took it down to three different coffees. And the, the last week before Boston, I brought, brought one coffee. Um, so I'm, I'm always working with multiple coffees until very, very close to the competition, mainly because I want to try what's out there. I want to see what other people might use. Not that that reflects my decision, um, but I need to understand what kind of coffees can, can I access and how can I make coffee taste. And, I tried some really, really famous coffees from some of the most famous farms and, and processors and farmers and, uh, you know, famous coffee people. We're not mentioning any names, but, you know, long story short, they did not live up to the quality that I already had, uh, mainly because they weren't clean and I'm looking for clean coffees. Um, so um, that decision was made basically a week before. And at that time, I had three different presentations. Uh, to walk up with all the same kind of structure, slightly different brewing, um, but, but still three different presentations. And I just kind of left that go and, and took the Costa Rican coffee with me up to, to kind of compete with, um, which, which I'm very happy I did that now afterwards, right? Um, but I think it's always important to, you know, competing is about taking the best tasting coffee. It doesn't matter if it's a geisha, non-geisha, anaerobic, non-anaerobic, carbonic, washed, honey, whatever the fuck you call it, because it's about what's tasting the best at the moment. And it's very clear in the competition now that there was a lot of really fancy, very expensive coffees that were all gaseous and, and funky process, and it, it tasted really bad. Um, so, I mean, would they have done better with a washed processed coffee? Yeah, most likely. So, I mean, 
people that say that this is a geisha show, even though there were, you know, basically five geishas in the final, um, it, it's not it's not the case. It's about looking for the best tasting coffee, right? And and I personally believe you can find that in other varietals as well. I think you need to to work hard, and I think you need to to put, put pressure on the producers to to come up with it. But I think there's a there's a lot of room for it, right? Um, I think where the points are it really comes down to something else, which we're going to go go into later in this uh, in these kind of videos as well. Um, but yeah, just to kind of sum it down, um, and and another thing which I haven't mentioned though, which I think is really important, it's it's a big part of your scores is going to be your taste description, and your taste description is you know times two plus it will reflect on your customer service. So if your taste description is really off, you're going to get a lower customer service, and if your taste description is very very high, you're going to get higher customer service. They're actually linked together, those two, um, and that's the only two they kind of are. So. Um, we needed a coffee that was extremely clear in its taste notes, extremely clear, clear and consistent. And um, we, we were looking for that and we were looking for a coffee that was also changing in character. So up front, this coffee had a much kind of sweeter, richer brown sugar, ripe mango, um, vanilla, cinnamon character. And as it cooled, it went down to like melon, apples. Um, hina jasmine, so much lighter coffee. So you had a complex flavor change, flavor structure change in the coffee. You had an acidity change from malic to tartaric. Um, so, uh, you know, flavor intensity is extremely important. They need to find what you're saying. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter, at least not in the world championship. I believe in your national, you can, you can win just by having the tastiest cup of coffee in terms of what the judges are scoring. Um, in the world, you need taste description, you need customer service to be super high. So you, it's not enough to just have a really tasty coffee. You also need to be able to describe that more or less perfectly. And I think that's a very important part. So, I mean, choose the best tasting coffee. I know for a fact my coffee was by far not the most expensive coffee in this competition. Uh, not saying it was a cheap coffee, but it also wasn't um, a very expensive coffee. So. Um, focus on focus on flavor intensity, flavor clarity, flavor complexity. In the best of worlds, have a coffee that changed a lot in structure from hot to cold, um, but keeping the balance in the coffee. Basically, you know, the score sheet is pretty simple. They have a few attributes that are time two, uh, acidity, body, and balance. That's why you need to score high. So if you have a coffee that is, is way better at those three things and then a flavor is, is maybe lacking a bit or the aroma is maybe lacking a bit that's fine because a higher point in either of those times two categories is going to generate a lot more for you so focus on that as a concept and and a structure and then you're going to be able to actually score score a lot higher so um, that was that about green coffee we're going to continue uh do a few more of those it's going to be a long day uh, thank you guys for for watching we're back, um, continuing our World of Brewers Championship Boston experience. Uh, now we're on video number four. Um, we're going to talk about coffee roasting, uh, roasting for competition, whatever you want to call it. Um, is it a thing? Yes, it's a thing. Um, what did we think about? What did I think about? Um, how did I approach it? Um, and uh, you know what, what? What might you be able to take uh, take with you from that? I think most importantly, and this is a relatively fundamental thing, which I think we we sometimes are are definitely missing out on. And I think you do need to to have this in mind: is um, 
Brewing coffee is a system. So we're talking about roasting, brewing, uh, or green coffee roasting, brewing. And it's, it's all a system, and that system needs to correlate. That system needs to be uh, continuous. That system needs to, to make sense, right? And I think a lot of people are actually forgetting that and missing out on that as, a, as, a, as an aspect. So, you know, um, how I roast my coffee, um, it needs to fit with, with, with what I'm kind of brewing. And I think it's important to understand that, that, you know, we made a brew method for this. We made the April Brewer version number two, different from the one I had in Brazil. Um, so to some degree, how I'm roasting my coffee is going to be based on that brewer, right? Um, we don't believe in this universal roast profile that fits all brew methods in all kinds of way. I think there's a really traditional way to do it or modern way to do it or lazy way to do it. It doesn't really matter. But just keep that in mind throughout this video. I think that's very important. Um, keep in mind that how you're roasting your coffee is very much based on the green coffee as well. I think people continuously kind of forget that. And competition is, is quite often you working with unusual green coffees, green coffees you don't necessarily always have, meaning that you should probably roast that in an unusual way. Um, now, we made a few kind of early on decisions um, from, from experience, which I know was, I mean, I, I should tell you international just to, to get you the background story for this. So uh, it really starts in Brazil. Was in Brazil, I roasted my, um, my competition roast on a probat, a tiny one kilo probat, because I had an idea that that would increase sweetness and balance in the coffee uh, or balance of body, which is time two in the score sheet, which it kind of did. Uh, it kind of worked, it scored pretty high. Um, but basically, I tried to do the same thing for the Swedish National this year and uh, roasted, I think, 10 batches of a coffee, um, which, um, which was kind of cool. And I brought those with me to Sweden. Now, when I roasted those coffees uh, on the same one kilo probat, there, there was something off here. Um, there was something off in the profiles, there was something off with the burner, I could physically see that. So in the back of my head, I thought, okay, I need, I need a backup for this because I'm not completely sure how the coffee is going to taste. So I actually brought with me um, this kind of home version of Omenikawa, which is basically a white version, you can do the same thing. And I tasted all of the coffees the day before competition, basically in a, in a cupping, and um, they tasted pretty crap, all of them. And I got really frustrated. And I didn't really know what to do. Uh, again, I remember that the burner on the probe didn't work the way that I want to, so I've, I figured I fucked up all the roasts. So, uh, you know, I bought some green coffee with me and an Ikawa. So I spent the night in the, the hotel room roasting before the competition. Uh, just a bunch of different profiles. I cupped them the next morning and they all tasted better than the probe and then I kind of went for it. So <coughs> I learned with the national that there's, there's an opportunity here uh, to be a bit more flexible with my roast. So right after national, I kind of decided that um, the issue with, in Boston was that the competition would be relatively late in the week. Um, so um, I didn't know if I would compete um, Friday or Saturday. And I knew I would leave on at least a weekend before. And, and because of our roasting schedule here, I knew that it would be tough to fit in a lowering roast on, on the big one. Um, also, a, a bigger machine requires more green coffee, right? Uh, so we do 12 kilo batches here. Um, and if I would do, you know, five different batches on it, uh, you know, with 12 kilo, all of a sudden, you know, the cost will go through the roof. 
and I wasn't wasn't even able I could able to know that I could actually use it. So it was about finding a row system that could be flexible, um, that I could use, I could get more control and a more versatile approach. And that, in my world, translates to Ikawa. Uh, being an air system is relatively similar to Loring in that sense. Um, so I started to do a bunch of roasting on the Ikawa roaster and. There were a few kind of things that I tweaked. I uh, spent a lot of time with it. I asked people, I researched, um, I talked with, with, you know, how do different people approach this kind of roasting style. And, uh, you know, the sum is that most people do a 50 gram kind of batch size and they roast for like five to six minutes. Um, so, you know, what did I do? I did a 50 gram and I roasted for five to six minutes. The issue is that it never tasted good. Um, in fact, I mean, I have tasted very few batches on, on an Ikawa roasted in that kind of way that actually tastes good. And it's the same with any kind of roast. If I do five minute roast here or on any machine, it's not gonna be very tasty. Um, you're not letting the coffee develop properly. You're not letting the amino acids change properly or the sugar develop. Uh, it just doesn't taste very good. Um, you get these really flat, uncharacteristic roasts. So I've been kind of, it's been a really interesting process listening to, to a lot of different roasters and, and talking with them. and. Uh, I mean, I do not understand why in the world a, a five, six minute roast should, should ever be tasty, nor do I ever think it will be. So uh, I kind of left that pretty, uh, pretty quickly and I started to develop a roast curve specifically for, for the competition coffee. So uh, I think I roasted about 100 batches, uh, maybe more leading up to the competition, uh, trying those in different stages, roast after, after date, um, trying different batch sizes. Um, Ended up basically having a, a 40 gram batch size uh, in an Ikawa. Again, I mean, I, I would never roast full capacity on any other machine, so why would I do that now? Um, ended up with basically an 11 minute roast. Uh, this is then 11 minute roasting and then cooling down. Someone asked me this on Instagram. Uh, I never calculate my, my um, cooling down time in my total roast time, if that makes sense. Um, now, we're probably gonna get you guys a video, no, not a video, but a, a, f a photo of something on this, this whole kind of profile thing so you can see it. I know you guys probably want to, but uh, long story short, uh, it ended up being an 11 minute roast, 40 grams, 201, and temperature in Celsius. And um, it tasted pretty good. I mean, it tasted good enough to have the highest score in the open service. Um, another interesting side note to this is that the roasting was actually done on the same day, so, well, we figured out that about six hours before competition is, is where the coffee peaked in quality, uh, peaked in flavor, intensity, and body, and balance. Um, had a really beautiful acidity. Um, now, we're, we're super clean, whereas as a lot of people say, well, you know, um, let's say I do a production roast, I would never use that the day after or six hours after, and I totally believe in that. But I mean, roasting a 40 gram sample on an Ikawa versus roasting 12 kilo on this machine behind me, it's a very different thing. There's no reason why the rules should apply, right? Sure, if you guys roast five, six minute roast, oh, you guys are pushing that coffee, stressing that coffee so hard, so of course you don't wanna do it so fresh. Um, but again, uh, it's a system and you need to understand that. And, and Based on how you change the raw material, your rules are going to change. You can't just apply the same rules on everything. You need to be flexible with that. Um, so I basically spent most of my time in, in, um, 
Uh, Boston actually roasting different profiles uh, in the hotel room. I'm not the one to set up. Someone set up a fire alarm uh, in, in Boston, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I was not the one doing that. Um, however, you know, that's, the, the reality is that it's super flexible. And, uh, you know, big thanks to Akawa for actually lending me one as well because it's a different power outlet in the U.S., so I needed a different machine. And they've been super helpful. And it just gave me control. It gave me flexibility. Um, it gave me the opportunity to perform roast the way that I want to. Um, and, you know, we obviously end up doing really tasty coffee, and I'm, I'm really happy to do that. Now, if we go up competing again, uh, does this mean that all the coffees are roasted with an 11-minute profile on, on Ikawa, um, which should be brewed, um, you know, six hours after roast? No, it doesn't. It means that my coffee performed the best at that time, right? So uh, I think competition-wise, roasting-wise, concept-wise, you need to stop generalizing, right? Because uh, it's about making your coffee the tastiest. And just because someone else made an other coffee tasty by roasting in a certain way doesn't mean you can, right? Um, you probably need something else unless you're using the same coffee. So, again, it's, it's really about finding what is best for this coffee. Um, in my world, on the Ikawa, uh, in terms of brewing as well, I mean, I didn't brew another coffee. I didn't roast another coffee at all um, in the kind of three months leading up to the competition. On the Akawa. I mean, I focused on that coffee exclusively, and therefore I get an, got an understanding for that coffee, which, which made sense and, and, and made the coffee a lot tastier in the end as well. So, um, kind of a you know really exciting, fun, fun process to do that. Um, does this now mean everyone should roast on Akawa? I know probably not. I mean, for me it was that you know I'm, I'm traveling with coffee, and traveling with roasted coffee is a, always a really um, it's a really difficult thing and you never really know what will come out of that. So uh, I brought roasted coffee with me as well, roasted on this. Um, I brought coffee roasted from another roaster, my coffee roasted from another roaster because, uh, I mean, this is a brewing competition and you need to be flexible and variable and, and uh, kind of prepare yourself for different solutions. And, you know, he knew maybe his version was better. We turned out using my cow roast, but it's always good to make sure that you have a range of coffee to choose from. Um, overall, what can I say? Uh, what I tried backstage was relatively light roasted coffees. Uh, I definitely say that there, there's no need to roast very dark. Uh, that's what I hear in terms of the rumors on burst as well. People are roasting lighter and lighter, want to showcase flavors as, as much as you can, and I think that's really exciting. Um, yeah, that was, that was about it about the roasting. Um, if you guys have any questions about it, again, please write down here or, or just send in emails. Thank you. We're back with video number five um, on our <laughs> World Brewer Championship Boston experience. I'm going to say this intro a lot of times, so I need to, to figure out more fun ways to do it. Anyhow, uh, this part is about the brewing device or the, the recipe. So um, the April Brewer, uh, it's a brewer we used. It's a brewer that we have been developing for the last year. Um, we had one version of it in, in Brazil and we have a slightly updated version of it in, um, um, in Boston. And the, the whole idea with it is to create a flatbed brewer um, and, and the kind of uniformity and evenness that comes with that but create a faster flow rate. So similar to a V60, not necessarily the flow rate of a V60, but definitely faster and more consistent than a traditional 
uh, flatbed brewer. So part of the challenge with, for example, a Kalita brewer is that the only way to get fast flow rate is to pour really aggressively in the center of the coffee or grind very, very coarse. But, but even then, from a competition perspective, you can have an inconsistency, meaning that for some reason the drawdown clogs up and, and you kind of have that in competition. So that's kind of the backstory to how we started to experiment. Um, we choose to make a ceramic because I want the temperature to be a bit lower. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in, in, in high temperature brews. Um, and uh, we just basically made a, um, made a flatbed brewer with a really large hole in the bottom with it. Uh, worked with a Kalita paper filter in it, which is for sure not the best paper filter. We're working on, on fixing that as well for the future uh, to create our own, but that, that was basically what we brought up with. Um, Recipe-wise, um, initially, um, some of you may already know this, but I actually went through a big change in recipe from, from day one and day two. Um, being that, you know, we arrived in Boston and it tasted like crap. But before that, you know, the initial recipe we went up with, which again is different from the national recipe, because uh, there's different competitions, whether you like it or not. And the ratio we went up with is one to 15, uh, slightly smaller brew than usual. Some people still do these really large brews being like 300 mils, 350 mils or whatever. Um, I, I don't like that and I don't see the necessity of it and it's also a lot of waste, it's a lot of coffee that no one will drink in, in practice and so on. So we worked with a 14 gram dose to 210 grams of water, um, which was basically the, um, the, the, the original recipe that we went to um, Boston with, meaning that's what I've been practicing on. We're alternating between circle and center pours. Um, center pour being aggressive, uh, six, gram, six second pour, uh, 70 grams of volume. The circled pour being gentle and slow, uh, also six seconds, but a circled pour, meaning that you pour a lot more water uh, in the same amount of time on the center pour than in the circled pour. Now, this will have a very different reaction on the coffee. So with the circled pour, the bed will be a lot more uniform and stable, and the, you won't really turn the coffee grounds around that much. Um, which is increasing a bit more uniformity and just balance in the cup. Whereas with the aggressive center pour, you're gonna actually stir the coffee up quite a lot, creating agitation, increasing flow rate, um, and if in my world, increasing flavor intensity as well. So it was about creating a pattern of pouring that generate uh, a great harmony in the cup with focus on a harmony between hot down to cold temperature. So that's the kind of original version of that. Um, we grind very coarse. I always believe the grinding coarse generates higher quality flavor notes. Uh, I don't necessarily have a proof for that, but it's just experience. Uh, and, and to some degree, that's, uh, you know, experience is all you got and that's what you need to go with. Um, water temperature has continuously changed quite a lot um, from 88 in the national to 90 uh, originally in the first round in the worlds. Uh, again, lower temperature brew, I find that to be more consistent, tastier. Uh, you need to be a bit careful with the acidity. If you go too low, um, if you go too low, you can can basically um, you you risk not extracting the, the sugars as much as you you want to. So you get a more acidic cup, if that makes sense. Um, so you know, if you have a coffee that is very very acidic, I would probably go up in temperature to increase more sugars because acidity is not really reacting to that. So 
uh, in my opinion, the presentation was a lower temperature to, to control that acidity structure, which is kind of true. Uh, but what we really controlled was the sweetness structure and the balance of, of ratio acidity and sweetness. Um, grinder we use, that's pretty funny. Again, everything changed from the first round to the second round. We'll go into that as well. Uh, first round, I used Comandante, great grinder. Why do I use Comandante? Well, you know, we're going to the US and we're competing, and in the US, they have a different power voltage. And if you have a different power voltage, then, you know, I don't want to um, take a, a, a ditting with me all the way there and not being able to grind. So uh, it kind of makes sense to, to just bring it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy I did. It served me well for a long time. Uh, the Comandante guys was really helpful to kind of clean everything up. Amazing. Um, I used the Kaya scales as well. Um, again, I paid for all of these, so there's no, no kind of sponsorship behind this. Uh, I mean, we like to pay for good stuff. And I think what I could can say, which was really helpful, was that this year they actually had a calibration booth. So we went and calibrated the scales right before the competition started, uh, which gave us a, a really good kind of opportunity to make things uh, a bit more consistent and to know where our, our scales were. We brought five scales, and it turns out that one of those were actually completely off. Uh, so that was really helpful. Um, water, water is a headache, let me tell you. Um, that was a major mistake that we did that we won't be doing again. We did not bring a water. The reason for not bringing a water was that the water uh, in Brazil, I was really happy with brewing that in my open service. And we ended up scoring very high. So. Um, I thought that Boston would be a good representation of that. It turns out that the, the minerals in the original water in Boston is vastly different. So uh, the outcome was just this extremely mouth-drying cup of coffee. And we were not ready for that. So basically arriving in, um, in Boston, the first brew I did was in the hotel room using tap water. Uh, the coffee actually tasted pretty solid. I was pretty happy and then I went to the competition and it just tasted like crap. God damn it, it tasted like crap. Um, it was so mouth-drying. Um, the flavors were there, the structure was there, the acidity was well integrated, but it was just leaving you with this huge, heavy dryness. And since cinnamon was one of the main kind of characters in the coffee, I couldn't have that. It was just like a dry cup of cinnamon. Didn't matter which TDS I did, didn't matter which, you know, um, anything I really did, and um, that, that was so frustrating. So in the first round, we went up with basically a 14-gram dose uh, to 210 grams of water, alternating between a 30-gram pour and a 60-gram pour, total brew time of four minutes, um, eight per brewer, of course, and a brew temperature of 90 degrees Celsius. And this was basically what I had been practicing with for two months back, back home in Gothenburg, and it tasted amazing. It's just that I changed, I used a different water. So we use a, a, our own version of a third wave dilution, which is a lot more water uh, to, to powder than what they recommend. And we've been really happy with that. I, I personally do not understand the critique towards third wave water whatsoever. I think most of the competitor backstage using third wave water had some really tasty cups of coffee. And most of the water that I tried from other competitors were actually not very, did not make their coffees um, beneficial. Uh, or show them in a good way. So, you know, big fan of that, but we, we went down there and we ended up competing actually with a third wave structure uh, for the first round because we couldn't use the official water. It was just not up to standard. 
Um, and again, the, the mineral levels were where people wanted within recommendations and stuff like that. But I mean, you need to understand that the recommendations or, or ratio recommendations that they have in the world is kind of big. I mean, even the tables, the tables were basically made for tiny people. Nothing wrong with that, but you know, uh, that was one thing I didn't have in mind because again, coming into Brazil was perfect height for me and you know, the judges were standing up. Now I was like hovering above the judges and they were all sitting down and you know, it felt, felt pretty crap. And you know, these are just the things you need to take into consideration going up into the world where you, know, it's, you just don't know what to expect. Don't freak out about it. And it comes back to what we said in earlier videos, just train on the worst version. Then you know, any version that comes out after that would be a positive kind of, and, and I think that's the focus you need to have. So, Anyhow, that was the, the, the first presentation. And I'm going to be honest with you and, and, and say that, you know, I, I was pretty unsure that I would make it to the final. We still ended up with one of the better first rounds in the competitions. We're at 82, which was still very high, um, which was good. But that was just that the low level was very high and we were fortunate enough to, to have that low level. But, uh, you know, I competed on, on um, um, Friday, which means I practiced all first day. And... I knew my coffee was bad on Friday, so I was in seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday and I brewed the whole fucking day. And one thing I can say is that out of the people that competed on Friday, I was the only one busting my ass the whole day on Saturday. And people were asking like, what are you doing? You competed yesterday, but yeah, sure. But I'm, I'm training for the final, right? Because, you know, first of all, one, I didn't know if I would make it to the final. It didn't really matter. But if I made it to the final, I wanted to be ready and prepared for it. And I was a bit surprised over how, um, you know, a lot of people just know I'm going to wait for the for the final result and then I'm going to practice, right? And I mean, again, it comes back to this kind of mindset and, and, and focus. And, you know, the reality is that I came to Boston, my coffee tasted like crap, and I knew that. You need to know that. Um, and, and then I spent a whole fucking day trying to figure out how to make it tasty. And it was me backstage, you know, with, with a bunch of other, like, competitors slash coaches. And I was just, you know, again, it's amazing to be backstage. That's, that's why I keep on doing this. Backstage in a world competition is, is, you know, fantastic. It's one of the best experiences you can have. You learn so much. And um, big thank you to, to Nicolas from Malaysia. That was a huge help in this. Um, um, Michael from Austria. I mean, a few other people that was just amazing backstage. Uh, of course, to my team member, Joe, as well, that was really supportive. Um, but I mean, in terms of brewing, you know, those were the guys really helping me. And, you know, we, we, we cracked out a complete difference. This was the day before the final, right? And we had, I never brewed in this way before. And we were trying to figure out how to do it, changing, you know, 12, 14 different waters. It was still not tasting very good. And the final recipe we used in the final ended up being 14 grams of coffee. So we kept the dose the same. And, um, poured 200 grams of water, so a smaller ratio than usual. Uh, brew time was three minutes instead of four minutes. Uh, the pouring interval changes. The pouring amount changed to individual pours of, of uh, um, 30, 70 instead of 40, 60. Um, and, you know, it, it just all changed. We changed the water, we changed, the, you know, everything. And I was just standing there and like, fuck me, am I going to go up and change my pitch on stage? Um, in the final, and I was like, yeah, because, you know, you need the tastiest cup of coffee because that's the pitch, that's the game, that's what we're in. And we pushed the score from 82 to 86. 
I had almost identical um, scores on taste description, workflow, and customer service from, from my first round and the final. What really changed was the, the quality of the cup that just went up, and we had the highest open score in the competition. And that was because you know, we practiced. Um, so, you know, um, I think the most important thing to keep with you with a brewing device, because we also get the question, you know, what kind of brewing device should I have? I mean, obviously, if you look at the statistics, you should have a V60, because V60 on average is doing incredibly well. Um, there, there's no point disputing that. Um, do you get a lot of extra points for making your own brewer? Um, I think the reality is no. Um, it really is. And it kind of, you know, I, I don't spend much time critique, critiquing this concept. And overall, I'm just happy that we have a competition. Um, but I mean, the, maybe there should be some kind of way to give points for, for, you know, having your own brew method. The reality is that you get your score sheet and you see like people are commenting and be like, oh, this cool that has his own brewer. There's no scores to be found there. You don't get better customer service. You get good customer service for explaining your brew method well, having a reason for why it's tasting the way it does. Um, but you can do that with a V60. You can do that with an AeroPress. You can do that with whatever you want to use, right? Um, so, I mean, it's a lot of work for something that doesn't necessarily generate any points. Now, that being said, we create our own brew method because we want to make our coffee taste the way that we want to, right? So it's not necessarily about performing well in a competition. We do this because that's the brewer I use on a daily basis to brew April coffee. That's why it's called April Brewer and not, you know, not something else. Um, so, you know, it's just an extension of what we do here and we, we think that makes sense and, and um, you know, uh, it's also an interesting process. So that's not really the point. I think you can use any brew method. You can use any water. Um, you just need to be flexible and you need to realize that in the end of the day, this is a taste competition. So it's about how your coffee is tasting. If your coffee is not tasting, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what approach you have. It doesn't matter how good your presentation is. You focus on the coffee. Um, and I mean, you know, train as much as you can. You're, you're there competing, right? So, you know, if you compete in the first round the first day and have an open day before final, I mean, train as if you were in the final. Pretty straightforward. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's been the kind of focus that we've been having. Um, so, and again, it's, it's, it's about customizing an approach that works for your coffee and, and what you want to do. It's not necessarily about finding a, a, a way of doing things that fits all coffees in the world because that's, you know, that probably doesn't exist. So you need to be a lot more specific when you're in your approach and you need to focus on how can I make this specific coffee taste the best, right? That's why that's been the coffee I've been brewing. There's no other coffee even touching my commandante. Uh, I mean, the, the, the covenant has been exclusively for that. I should say, though, uh, for the sake of transparency, that in the final, we actually didn't use the commandante. We used a didn't grinder. Um, I think the main reason for that was was a tiny bit of stress where we, we kept on dialing in on the final as well, and, and we just needed somebody to work faster. Um, I think that was the one of the key things. Um, so we actually used a didn't grinder, which is a great grinder. Uh, it's a grinder we have at home as well. Um, one perhaps interesting side note, uh, which I'm not sure if everyone is thinking about, is that we actually, um, we grounded our coffee about 30, 45 minutes before going on stage. Um, because your, your flow rate in your brews is going to, you know, massively be impacted based on, uh, on the amount of gas in the coffee and how fresh the coffee is. So part of why, you know, we roasted it very fresh, we needed to grind it before to kind of let it rust and, and, and open up and be more consistent. So. 
if you're brewing coffee out there and you have an issue with flow rate being inconsistent in between multiple, then just grind sooner and let it rest longer and, and you're not gonna have that issue anymore. So um, the, the longer after grinding, the faster the flow rate, basically. Um, I think that was it about brewing. Again, if you guys have any questions, just write them down here. Thank you as always. So we're back with episode number six um, here in uh, kind of World Brewers Championship Boston edition. Patrick is, is ranting slash reflecting on how things went. Um, for those of you that you know are halfway through and forgot how it went, we placed uh, second place in the world, uh, highest open service in the whole competition, not the highest compulsory. Uh, meaning there, there's people in the world that are way better than we are, so learn from them. <laughs> However, this is just a transparent way of sharing what we have done. Uh, it's not saying that what we did was good. Obviously, it wasn't good enough, and we're very aware of that. Uh, but it's still an opportunity to, to reflect and just see what we do, right? So number six here, I'm just looking on the board on the side here to, to keep track of what I'm doing because I'm doing a lot of videos. Um, Presentation concept is point number six. So what do we think about in terms of presentation? Um, what are important? What is relevant? Um, I keep back, keep coming back to this quite often. Um, and I think the, one of the major uh, kind of concepts and, and parts of doing this is it needs to come from you. Step one. I think part of the, if, if we had any strength this year is that that presentation I haven't seen that presentation before in a world championship. Um, and I, I, do, I do have a feeling that, you know, that that was a, a good representation of, of where I am as a coffee professional. Simple, clean, no fuss, straight to the point. Uh, the focus is uh, on the service. Um, we, we created our own server, our own brewer. Um, we kept everything white, pink. Um, was pink because of uh, higher perceived sweetness due to colors? Not necessarily. Uh, do I believe in that as a concept? I mean, people say it's true, so it's probably true, and it's, it's people that are smarter than I am. I don't necessarily see any impact or any clear kind of guidance where, where in competition formats that have helped people, but um, still white and pink, mainly because I want to keep it simple. Um, Focused a lot on workflow this year, trying to make it as clean as possible, as functional as possible, as little movements as possible. Really focusing on the people sitting in front of you. Um, in terms of structuring the presentation, um, as always, we want to make it more of a brew, brew competition. Uh, in Brazil, if you guys remembered, I was actually grinding on stage. I rinsed my filter on stage. Something that I did to kind of um, try to highlight a bit more um, the actual brewing factor of it. However, the, the result and the feedback on that always is that people don't care. Uh, I mean, the judges don't care. The judges don't score you higher for grinding on stage. Uh, you should know that. Um, the judges don't uh, score you higher for rinsing your filter on stage. Um, well, we're definitely at a tipping point here with the competition now where, where there's, there's a bit of confusion of where to kind of go next and how to make it more into a brewing competition. Um, because it's not necessarily, they, they say it in the rules, there should be a representative version of, you know, a coffee shop experience. Um, but then, you know, there's still some people spending more time showing iPads than actually talking to the guests. And 
again, this is not a critique for what anyone else have done. This is just what we did and why we did it. Um, I like to keep it open. I like to keep it focused on the judges. The way I look at presentations or, or is that it's an amazing opportunity for you to serve coffee to three people that actually want your coffee. I mean, they're sitting there, they're excited. Um, uh, and I mean, you're, you're, it's very rare that you had the opportunity of, of doing this kind of service. And, and I think that's a really fun time. It's a really pleasurable thing to do. And it's just a good good vibe. You have three people there wanting your coffee and your job is to, to explain that as good as you can. And, uh, I mean, the focus here in the presentation is that you, you need to link the, you need to explain to them uh, why the, or why or where the strongest flavor notes in your coffee comes from. That's the way that we look at it. So you start with the coffee, identifying those kind of strong characters in the coffee, and then your presentation is there to basically make them excited about the coffee. Um, show that you know what you're doing in terms of brewing, but also explain why is the character of the coffee, the harmony of this coffee, the way that it is. So focus more more on that than anything else. And we try to do it really clean and, and be on point. And um, I mean, the, the judges to some extent liked it, right? The, there's things we can improve on that as well, for sure. Um, but there's also things that we did very well. So it's a balance. I think it, it really comes down to, you know, as long as what you're saying is connected to the final cup, um, focusing on the fact that it is a coffee shop experience, there are people sitting in front of you, they're not judges. I think that's a, if you, if you go about it, uh, focusing on them as judges, I think it becomes, you know, really stiff directly. Uh, you know, it's just three people there sitting there wanting to, you know, uh, taste a really teach a cup of coffee and they're fucking good at what they do so it's a it's a really fun uh, environment to serve coffee in. and um we should we should talk a bit about music which joe is going to laugh here when he edits this video because he kind of don't like the fact that i use the same song twice but uh i think this this year was the first time i actually had music in mind um i usually don't because um, it's not a, that big big part of my life at the moment um, but I saw this one guy in, in the Danish national, uh, and terrible with names, so I'm not going to try to remember, I think Daniel or David, um, that competed, and um, doesn't matter how it went for him, but I, I still remember the first four minutes of his presentation. I thought that was the most beautiful, like impactful presentation I've heard in a very long time, and I was standing there. He had this beautiful story about his connection to the coffee, and the music kind of went on, and I just got goosebumps. I mean, that was, that was extraordinary. Um, and I just went up with him directly after and just asked him, so, you know, where does the music come from? And, and uh, he was kind enough to share it. And long story short, I, I took the same five-minute track and I played it twice. And I think it really created a vibe that fitted that presentation well. It was maybe a bit too cheesy, but we wanted to make an impact, wanted to, you know, make people feel that there was some kind of emotional aspect of this. And I think to some, to some degree we managed to do that. So, I mean, that was fun. Um, what else? Um, ah, competition time. I think, I mean, we still, every year we still have competitors going overtime. It's a thing. Um, stop going overtime. Easier to, to, to say than do, maybe. And I will be at a point where I will go overtime as well. I know, I know that. But, I mean, put your practice up so that you have time. Meaning that when you practice at home, finish at nine minutes. That means you have 10 minutes. That means you have one more minute 
to fuck up on stage and you'll still be fine or be slower than what you are. Most people, they go to stage and actually either they're so concerned with fitting everything in because they believe that um, the, the strength of their presentation requires everything to be in there so that they, they actually just go over time anyway. Or two, they get very, very comfortable on stage, which actually happens quite often. You get more comfortable than what you're used to and therefore you actually become slower um, and you're actually losing time. But I mean, the reality is if you go over time, you're most likely not gonna be in the final. So just avoid going over time. I think that's a, that's a good way to, to put it. Um, and I mean, there's no reason why, sh why you, know, you don't have to use 10 minutes to make a perfect presentation. Uh, you really don't, just put it in a ball game so um, that, that you're able to just say what you need to say. Also what we did, which was relatively new from, from previous years, is that we focused a lot more on taste descriptors, um, a lot more on taste delivering. So how do we actually say those and share those? And I think we made that considerably better than what we've done previous years. And I think that's been a big part of the presentation. Um, there's one reservation, I think, which we should say, and it's been a debate a bit about if, if I got any critique on my presentation and, and it wasn't that much critique, but if there was anything, it was that the one or two, one judge had, a, had an idea about my ending, um, whereas a lot of the times in the world championships, people want these really extravagant, save the world ends, you know, where, you know, we're all a big family and, and all of this. And personally, that's not necessarily how I do things. And that wasn't what I was looking for in my presentation. So my end is relatively clean with, with enjoy the coffee. And, and I just want them to enjoy the coffee and focus on that. Um, for next year, will I do a more extravagant end? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if that can bump my points up a bit, why not? <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's focus on that in the future. But, uh, I mean, keep it simple. Keep it about the coffee. Keep it about explaining why is this coffee tasting the way it does. Because that's really what those 10 minutes is about. And showing that you're in control of that process. Um, and, I mean, as, as we're trying to do things the way that we always do it. You know, we, we do presentations based on what would I want to hear, you know, what would I want to see? If I sit here and, you know, it's, it's a pretty stressful situation as a judge as well to sit there and, you know, well, you know, how can I make them comfortable? How, how would I be comfortable? And what do I want to hear about a coffee? And just you know, have it come from you. You know, we've seen, it's amazing that people are starting to get coaches. And, but we also see a lot of people doing presentations that have been done before especially nationals. Um, and I mean, for me, I think we're missing the point because competing needs to be about you. It needs to be about your experience. It needs to be about, be about you becoming better. It can't be about you doing exactly what um, other people have done in the past. And for me, that's not coaching as well. Coaching is not about, let's just do exactly what I did because that works. Uh, for me, coaching is about finding, you know, what do you want to share? What is your representation, right? It needs to come from you. So, I mean, if you're out there and, and you want to compete and you're looking for uh, a coach, not necessarily call me because um, I don't have much time doing that. But, you know, use the best ones, which you always should, but also be aware that they win because they do something that comes from them. People that are just copying other people Sure, they can score high, but they rarely win, right? So it's about you. You need to find your connection, your brew approach, uh, your ways of doing things. And you're going to realize that you'll be a lot less nervous. Uh, your presentation points will go up. 
uh, and it will just come across as a lot more genuine. So focus on, on what you want to do. Have people help you always, always learn, always from people that are better than you. But, you know, don't lose, lose track on yourself within that process. So that was about it. That's what I had about presentations this time. Um, comments down here if you have any. Thank you guys for watching. Welcome. Uh, we're back. Uh, episode number, I believe this is seven. I might be wrong, but I mean, you see that in the header anyway. Um, World Brewers Championship Boston. We're reflecting, we're thinking, we're sharing what we did. Uh, take it or leave it. Uh, at least we want to give you the opportunity to get an insight in, in the process. Um, this time it's about the compulsory round. Um, compulsory round, undoubtedly, where I fucked up this year. Um, what did fuck up mean? Um, I think it was 69.9 points or 70 points, whatever, which basically this year uh, made me more or less average. So it wasn't bad, it wasn't very good, it was just in the middle of everyone. And um, I lost with 0.9 points. The winner had the highest open in the score in the competition. So of course I could push my open up as well, but let's, let's face it, compulsory should have been better. Uh, a few things that were challenging this year. Um, I think the biggest challenge here was that the coffee was very different. So, um, and before I go into this, this is not me complaining. Um, I already made a post on Instagram and I saw some other people they're talking about complaining, uh, filing, um, I don't know, uh, official complaints or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, I'm actually really happy that this was a challenge. It's, it's a learning curve. It's an opportunity to get better. The difference here was that there is a few specifications. Well, the difference from Brazil, because I won the compulsory in Brazil, um, and I've been winning three other compulsories in national competitions from that, coaching other people as well. Uh, but then in Brazil or in Boston, we go there and, and we don't win and we don't do very well. And a big part of that is that in the rules, there is a specification of what the coffee should be for compulsory. Now, should there be a specification? Not necessarily. I don't think it, I don't think it cares. So again, this is not the point. The point is not I'm angry that the coffee was different from the specifications. Um, I think that one can just as well argue, just skip the specifications and just give people a round of coffee and that will make everything a lot more interesting, right? So compulsory is about showing, you know, how much in control of a brewer you are and, and what you can do with the coffee you're not familiar with. Your open service is supposed to be very good because you had all the time in the world to practice. It's your coffee. It's your brew method. You chose exactly how to do things. Uh, I mean, it, it should be good. Um, compulsory, however, that's, you know, is a bit of a mystery. And, and of course, you can practice on this. The reality is that the coffee we brought was not a wash processed coffee. Um, if that was a wash processed coffee, then I don't deserve to be a coffee roaster. Um, and then, you know, nothing I know and, uh, is, is, is right in this industry. Someone will probably say it's a wash processed coffee, but this was a really funky uh, coffee with a tons of natural processed characters. So I would be very surprised if this would fall under the category of wash processed coffee. It simply wasn't. The varietal in itself, honestly, I don't really know what it is. It's something that I'm not familiar with. It's not your average varietal. There were different thoughts about being Lorena, uh, some, some kind of hybrid for sure, I would say. 
Uh, it looked very small, very long, similar to Lorena, but in a small version, probably from a dwarf tree. I uh, don't know, it doesn't really matter. Um, also much lighter roasted than the coffee in Brazil. And the issue is here from our perspective, which we know now, and, and you know, competing is the only way to figure this out, was that I went into this competition relying on the rules, thinking that this coffee would be similar to other compulsory coffee previously in the history of the competition, which has been the case. I've been backstage uh, on a lot of these and trying the compulsory coffees, and they would always fall within the same kind of category of a slightly over-roasted, burned, wash process, simple, like 82 coffee. And now we end up with a light-roasted, natural-processed coffee of a varietal. We don't really know what it is. Um, which basically throw me off completely uh, and throw the judges off completely as well. I talked with a lot of competitors afterwards and there's almost no one that got scored con consistently. So almost all people have a differences of at least three to four points between the highest and the lowest in what they got on the same three cups. And with, with all of the, with the quality of the brewers um, in, in this competition, I don't believe that's a brewing fault. I don't believe we all just got a, you know, a different reply from the judges um, because the brews were inconsistent. I believe this was a green coffee that was extremely inconsistent. Um, so that's basically where we failed. We had a pretty good practice round when I think we actually got a relatively tasty coffee. Um, we, we tried a few different brew methods, ended up with the AeroPress again, dilution. Uh, a dilution that extracts about 8% of the coffee. Again, the, the worse the coffee, the, the, um, the lower the extraction is the point, right? And then just diluting for a strength that, that is the strength that we're looking for. And um, we're pretty happy. It tasted actually pretty good, I think. Uh, at least pretty solid. Um, I mean, it's always fun to see what other people can do with it. And there, there were some people that did obviously some pretty amazing stuff because the score really high, right? Uh, which, which, which is fantastic. Um, I think in hindsight, what we should have done is that we should have tr competed with a very, you know, a wider range of coffees. And just to cautious for you guys out there, you know, it's compulsory is changing, right? It's not, uh, we, we can't rely on the coffee being the same. It's obviously not the same. And again, I don't say that from a, a frustrated perspective. I think the competition is more fun if we don't know what we're going up against. I think that's part of the game. And I mean, we should get a coffee that we're not familiar with. So I don't mind that process. but. Um, uh, for you competing again from, let's say, from Boston to, to a new competition or competed before, the compulsory coffee is not the same as it used to be. It's a different ballgame. Um, and you need to change your, your brewing accordingly. With that, as I mean, same for everyone as well, the, the water quality in, in Boston was just not up to scratch. And again, I don't mind that because it's the same for everyone. So that's why I think compulsory is an amazing, you know, uh, it's an amazing part of the competition and I think it helps you um, really bring out the best winner because you need to be very good at both, right? So I actually think it's a great system. Um, some kind of details about my approach, um, something I always do, I always doze up during my, uh, my competition time, my, my setup time, um, the, is it eight minutes? Yeah. Um, I doze up my doses, in this case I use 33 grams. Um, Grind them, always grind the coarsest, always. I don't necessarily change that. Um, and then I just smell on all of them. And I think even here it was so, it was so obvious that this coffee was you know, a bunch of Quakers, bunch of not nice things. 
Um, which I mean, it's sad when when I know some other competitors has scored very very low on compulsory with the uh, with the results. Yeah, it was a Quaker in there, and then it's like, should should we on the world brewers level have to deal with that? Should we you know, or should we have a coffee that is just a clean coffee without any Quakers in it? One can argue that it gets more difficult with Quakers than just sort that out. Which I can kind of agree with as well. It's just I think we need to maybe specify this a bit more so that everyone knows what they're getting themselves into. Um, and, and just getting the judges calibrated on, on the same kind of page because I, it was obviously a huge range there. Um, but yeah, smell through the, the grounds and take the one that tastes it. It smells the best, right? And there's a huge difference. Um, Brewed pretty stable, um, low temperature brews always, we're down below 80 degrees. Um, concentrate, um, basically just regulating the strength of that brew with the amount of water I pour on. Um, another thing that was really strange uh, with the competition, I don't understand why they, why they do this, um, is that they actually have glass. And I think you should be very aware of that because you served in glasses. You didn't serve in cupping bowls, meaning that the liquid becomes extremely uh, clear, as in you can see exactly the color, the shape, uh, the structure of the liquid, which is, you know, we, we all know by now that liquid or, the, or how the liquid looks has a big impact on taste quality. We know that by now. So why in the world on a world uh, stage they would serve copies in a glass is, a, is an absolute mystery to me. Um, also, again, very different from Brazil. Um, we're talking with some of the head judges afterwards. The, the reply is basically, well, it often comes down to sponsorship. Um, and I mean, I still think that's we, we need to come up with a decision here. And people need to decide how serious do we want to take this competition. Um, I mean, it's also, in, in, in all fairness and reality, we're kind of off topic here, but let's say it anyway. We're on the brewer stage in the final presenting. And, you know, sometimes the judges can't hear us because barista is on at the same time and the stage is 10 times as big in the same room. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly that the SEA is not favoring the Brewers champion, uh, the Brewers competition, right? And, I mean, I think, it's, uh, I think that's a bit sad because we have a lot of interest in that competition and people need to put it on a platform that it, it just serves. Um, and then we need to move away from this randomness where like you go there and there's glasses. So you go there and the benches are obviously way too low for at least 90% of the competitors. I know that there's also, uh, I mean, obviously there's shorter competitors and that works the other way around where, you know, it's not fair that it should be too, too high for them either. I understand and I respect that. Maybe then we should have, you know, the competitors can choose the height of the table. The competitor can choose if the judges are standing or sitting more similar to where Barista is now, right? Uh, there's definitely some things we can improve. Uh, but back to Compulsory, just to round it up, um, AeroPress brew after practice, practices the day before, which is always a bit risky, so you never really know how the grinder's gonna behave the day after. Um, always work with, uh, um, always work with, uh, with cold water, not with hot water, you don't want water standing in, in the tower. Um, and um, just, you know, make it on time and be consistent. Read the rules. There's still so many questions about the compulsory ground. 
um, that people are asking before the competition. I mean, if you're in the world championship, you better know the rules. I mean, we, we should know the rules. So, and know that, you know, the people around you are, are just people. So timekeepers maybe don't really know. I instruct my timekeepers to basically shout at me the times I'm telling them, right? Um, I have my own timer as well, but I mean, they, they need to be so fucking clear with, with time. Um, so, I mean, have that, you know, respect that and then realize that you need to give really clear instructions as well. Um, yep, yeah, that's about it. Um, compulsory round, the hardest part, uh, train a lot on it. Um, diversify, that's what I'm going to try to do now, to be a lot more diverse than, than what I've done in the past. Um, with that, I want to say thank you guys for, for watching. And as always, if you have questions, just write it down here. Welcome. So we're back with our episode number, basically number eight, talking about uh, the World Brewers Championship in Boston. We've been there. We've done it. We played second. Um, kind of sucks. That's life. Let's move on. Reflecting, right? So um, this round uh, is going to be about talking about our first round. So the competition is basically first round open, compulsory, and final. We already done a reflection on compulsory, so this is the first round reflection, uh, which in my world means open service. So before that, uh, a shout out to Stephen, a uh, competitor of Ireland, uh, which was next to me the whole time as well backstage, um, Roast Red Bailey's in, in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm drinking his coffee now. I've been drinking a few cups of it at, um, uh, since the competition. I've been trying a lot of the competition coffees. This is by far one of the tastiest coffees in the competition. Uh, they've done an amazing job uh, roasting this coffee. It's absolutely delicious. Uh, and I think you guys should all check them out. Now, with that in mind, final round, first round, sorry. So the first round starts on Friday. Um, it basically starts with um, coming in seven in the morning. Um, I have compulsory on that day as well. So compulsory is, uh, I think, at 10 o'clock. Um, I have a 15-minute practice at 8.30, and I have the official open at 1 o'clock, so later after lunch. Um, again, we already talked about compulsory, so let's skip that for now and focus on the open. Um, so I go in. Um, the first thing we do is just to set up for the practice time. So usually what happens is that you have one hour practice the day before competing, and then you have 15 minutes practice on competition. The way that I always um, use that is to focus on the presentation. So I always do the presentation at least once before um, before competition on competition day. I want to do it loud. I want to do it in front of everyone backstage and I want to kind of show them that I'm here and I'm ready. It's just also a great time to get some get some different perspectives and, and have people watch it. So I basically set up everything the way I did on, on competition. So it's, it's a great way for me and Joe to also prepare so that he knows what he's, what he's getting himself into and what's coming up. And so the process was basically out of those 15 minutes, I have five minute prep and then a competition time of 10 minutes, right? So um, we didn't focus about sensory. Of course, we wanted to make tasty coffee. Um, 
but we just focused on getting the presentation done and down with some music, everything time, the whole thing, 100%, no compromises. The same thing as if you were on stage. And this is um, you know, how I prepare myself, how I get ready for the competition day. So um, that's how it all started. Um, secondly, uh, which we already had with us from first day, our coffee was tasting like shit. And I don't mean this in, in a kind of a pretentious way our coffee tasted amazing but i'm a douchebag and i, I can't admit it i say it in the kind of way that we came to boston and the coffee really didn't taste good um and sure we did score high in the open anyway and i'm thankful for that but it was a few hours of really intensive testing uh and changing um and we basically ended up having to try i think we tried 12 different waters on that morning alone. We didn't change the actual recipe. We played around a bit with grind size, um, but we just kept on trying and it was so dry. It was so dry and almost whatever we used in terms of water and everything was just so dry. And um, I mean, it was strange because we never, never experienced that dryness beforehand. And the only two changes we'd done was water and the roast machine. So we roasted on an Akawa back home, but it wasn't the same Akawa machine because the watts didn't work. So then the question was be, did this new roaster bring any kind of dryness to the coffee? Which, you know, we counted that by roasting a bunch of different profiles and, and we had got the same dryness anyway. So then we figured out, okay, it's water. Um, water in the sense that the water we use back home is a very, very fundamental difference. So, meaning that maybe we customize a brew approach and a roasting approach for this very specific water and we didn't have it with us. So maybe we were fucked if we didn't have that. <laughs> so that was, that was really stressful. And we were brewing and brewing and brewing. And the only slight solution we found was to start grinding the coffee very early on. So we tried to coffee ground, you know, 30 minutes before brewing, 45 minutes before brewing. We think that cleaned up a bit. Um, but again, this is a process we've been practicing for many, many times before. So, you know, it, it's still going to be a mystery for me where this comes from. And it's, it's definitely a learning procedure and a learning curve where I want to try to understand this for future competitions. Um, but the reality is we went up in the first round knowing that our coffee didn't taste good. And I mean, that's not a very fun place to be. Um, but you, you fake it until you make it because you don't know. You never know what other people have. You never know how compulsory went. Um, and the benefit that we had is that we had a coffee that even though, I mean, the issue here was the dryness. So acidity is fine, flavor structure is fine, but we run the risk of having very low scores on body and aftertaste, uh, which, which we could see as well as a big difference in the, in the first round towards the final. So again, 82 points in the first round and 86 in the final. And that's because in, in the final, we didn't have the dryness in the cup, basically. More about that in, in the next video. And I think, you know, here, here a lot of the kind of mental part of, of my training becomes interesting. Uh, it's not that I'm doing any kind of mental training. That's it's unfair to say. But, you know, I do have a few things in mind. And, you know, I read a lot of books and, and shit about the subject. And I have a process that I think works works well for me. And... In the end of the day, you just need to go up and, and do as good as you can. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you're here to win. You act like a winner and, and you, you smile and you go through it, right? You keep positive. You keep calm. There's no need to freak out. Freaking out doesn't help anyone. 
Um, it's about showing the, the, you know, people sitting in front of you in your presentation, the best version of you, the best version of your coffee. You freaking out, it's not gonna help. It's gonna stress yourself out. It's gonna stress everyone around um, as well. So, I mean, we'll still try to keep it on a low end for sure. Um, and again, I'm, I'm gonna say this, cause, and this is not a critique towards the world championships. I think the experience is always amazing, but uh, this is to reflect on a national. So a lot of competitors are giving their organizer national a lot of shit for how they're doing things. Um, and they do that with the argument that in the world everything is perfect, but in the world it's not perfect. There's gonna be a tons of stuff that you're not ready for. You walk in there and you be, you know, they have glass cups for the compulsory. They have a table that is crazy low, even if it's within range. Um, you know, they don't have any electrical plugs backstage. And I mean, there, there's so many things that are still very far from, from where you want it to be. Um, and I think that's still mainly because brewers just don't have the same reputation as, as barista. So, you know, just go in and keep, keep your mind in a positive place and, and surround yourself with positive people. Don't stress out because that doesn't help you. Uh, eat food. I mean, that's important. Um, so, I mean, that, that was pretty much it. We went up, did the, did the first round and I think the presentation went well. I mean, I was, I was very comfortable. I was pretty happy with it. Um, we had an issue with one of the brewers tipping off, um, which again, I've been practicing with that many, many times. So I knew that brewing wise, it doesn't matter. It will extract the same. Uh, for some people in the audience, they're freaked out. But I mean, I know my coffee, I know my brewers, I know how that would work. I know that the risk was there as well. So, I mean, it didn't really make any difference. Um, and I think the, the, the process was relatively smooth. And, and I mean, the, the first thing I had in mind after the first round was like, okay, let's practice, right? Because I knew the coffee wasn't tasty. I was kind of crossing my fingers, hoping to move into the final. Um, but, you know, I knew that if I would go with this presentation in the final, I wouldn't make it meaning I needed to make my coffee taste better. So, so that's what we kind of focused on, but I'm gonna leave that for the final video, the final reflection video. Um, and with that, I'm gonna cut this short. And again, it's, it's um, I mean, competing is not just one day, right? You need to go in there with the mindset of being in the final and you need to plan and have a process for going all the way. Otherwise, you're not gonna go all the way. So keep that in mind uh, when you set out to do this in the beginning. Uh, thank you. So welcome back. We're continuing our reflections over the World Brewers Championship in, in Boston. Um, video uh, number nine, um, talking about the final. So final is, is where we did our best round. Uh, we scored 86, uh, just the highest open score in the competition. And for, for me, the final started basically Friday afternoon, the second I stopped competing uh, or the, the, the second I was first done with the first round. And I knew our coffee wasn't tasting up to scratch in the first round. I knew it wasn't tasting where we wanted it to be. So it was basically jump straight into uh, test brewing, tasting more different waters, uh, going back to the hotel, uh, continuing the roasting. We tried quite a few different profiles to see if the, the challenge was within the roast, which we basically went back to the original profile for the actual competition, but that's, that's for a later pitch. So we roasted a bunch of different coffees. Um, I had practice time 9.30 and I competed 
uh, basically last, so around one o'clock on the final day. And that was a, an active choice. I could choose where I wanted to be, and I decided to be last because I figured that's, you know, then everyone's been through. They, they know the quality of everyone else, and they can kind of decide where, where I should be within that range, right? So um, arriving eight o'clock, uh, setting everything up, started to basically test brew as soon as we could. We had a bunch of coffee. We tried a bunch of different waters. Um, most of the job was done on on the Saturday before the final, actually, because um, Saturday was six, eight hours straight of just pure coffee brewing. Um, we, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with the coffee in the first round. How can we make this clean cup? How can we make this dryness go away? And we ended up changing the whole recipe, um, brewing and brewing and brewing. And, um, you know, we changed gram, dose, um, water temperature, we changed water, we changed pours, we changed total brew time. And with that, uh, you know, it's not just changing how you brew, it's also changing uh, what you're presenting in your presentation in the final. So it wasn't ideal, but I think it's important to understand that it's about making the tastiest cup of coffee. Right, so it doesn't matter if things looks flawless on stage or sound flawless on stage. If it's not tasty, it's not tasty. You're not gonna, you know, do very well. So, our priority was making the tastiest cup of coffee, and that's what we were working for. So, um, spent all Saturday trying to do that. I had the help of some really talented brewers, um, especially Nikolai from from Malaysia. They're coaching Thailand. And Michael from Austria, um, you know, a- amateur coffee brewer, I say he's pretty pro. Um, that's competed in the world for the second time. Um, and I mean, some, some few other people, and it was really, really interesting experience on Saturday, just, just brewing together with them. And we, you know, we ended up actually doing a pretty tasty version of it. And um, uh, went out Saturday night, made sure to get some proper food, proper sleep. Uh, you know, it's always fun to eat some good stuff. And then, uh, yeah, as I said, up Sunday morning, training 9.30 directly and started to, to uh, test brew. Um, started to roast some of the batches first when I, when I arrived. So I roasted like four batches. Then uh, practice time, set up exactly. The, we have a longer practice time now. We have 30 minutes. In the first round, we have 15 minutes um, on the same competition day. But I did the same thing, basically set up five-minute practice time and 10 minutes competition time to just have that done with, go through the process, get some proper feedback, hear what people have to say. Um, that was the first round I did with, with the brewing method we chose, so the, the brewing pattern we chose in. It um, kind of incorporated that in the presentation. I didn't spend up all night trying to incorporate it. Um, I just kind of you know fell back and, and trusted myself knowing that I would probably be able to fix this. So I didn't stress out and didn't freak out. I stayed calm. I know our coffee was tasty, and that's the most important part. So we went through practice round. Um, didn't taste perfect, but the presentation went very smooth with all the new pitches. So we spent the next um, four hours before competing, test brewing, test brewing, test brewing, different waters again, different this, different this. We, we ended up pushing um, uh, a third wave of water with a higher uh, dilution, so more water than what is subscribed. And then we pushed that through a Brita filter afterwards. And that's the water we ended up using. Um, and again, changed all the brewing parameters as well. 
Um, apart from that, I mean, it's it's um, it's a really good vibe going up in the final, hang out with the finalists, and and you know, um, it's just you're just happy to be able to be on stage and brew coffee in front of people that um, that wants to taste your coffee. And there was a few more people in the crowd this time as well, which also makes it a lot more fun. So, you know, we kind of just went up, uh, went for it, um, had a lot of fun. It's important to not stress out when they do these kind of things, right? I mean, if you stress out, you're fucked, you know? It's, you need to be in a happy place, in a happy mode to brew tasty coffee and serve that well. Um, simple stuff, you know, like the competition won't start without you, right? So if you have a certain start time and, you know, you need to go to the bathroom or whatever you need to do, then just do it, relax. They're not gonna start without you, right? Take a deep breath, take your time, go up on stage, take your time there as well, right? Uh, instruct everyone around you, timekeeper or whatnot, and make sure that everyone kind of knows what's what's happening and what's not happening. So, you know, just just relax. Um, it's, it's it's really not that bad. But yeah, overall, I said the final final experience was uh, was pretty good that day. I mean, we we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We were well prepared, and we have to say we we pretty much nailed it. Um, we increased our points from 82 to 86, which is, you know, obviously not enough, but still, you know, a significant increase, which is good. That means we know our coffee and that, that makes us happy. Um, yeah, I say, I mean, the, the, the issue was not in the open service, right? The issue was in the, in the compulsory. That being said, we can, we can always get better there as well. And there's definitely things to improve on in the future. But um, that, was, that was about it for the final. Uh, again, thank you guys for, for tuning in. We have a few more of these videos coming as well. Um, thank you. So welcome uh, back. We're, we're here again with uh, another video uh, from our World Brewers Reflection, uh, video number 10. Um, talked about score sheets. Um, and it's important to understand before I start this is that uh, these are my experience of what judges have been telling me or people I've been coaching um, through, throughout the years of, of, of competing or, or mainly you know, throughout the two World Brewers um, competitions that, that I have done. This is not um, coming from someone that is a certified judge. I'm not a certified judge, so I can't really tell you much about that. But at least these are the, the kind of experiences that I've been having. So we're gonna go through two score sheets today. We're gonna to look at the, the open service score sheet and we're gonna look at the head yudge score sheet as well. Because I think those are, are interesting. The compulsory score sheet, we all kind of know. I mean, it's a pretty basic, you know, it's, it's based on taste. Um, you have acidity body imbalances times two and that's very relevant, so, so focus on that. Uh, what I can say on the subject of the compulsory, which kind of reflects the open service and head judge as well, is that TDS is often discussed. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the TDS because the judges don't. Um, they're not officially using it in the scoring, it's just reference. Um, and that being said, you know, TDS is so much based on how you take the samples. So how you actually do it, meaning that you can get different solids depending on how you get it. So. When, when we're competing, just in general, we don't care so much about the CDS. That's gonna look different depending on how you take the sample. We don't care much about TDS in, in general. So I would, I would, at least personally, I'm disregarding it for this kind of discussion. No one is scoring lower because you have an indifferent TDS unless that's like a gigantic, huge, massive difference. Otherwise, you should be fine. Um, 
open service score sheet in general, which is kind of interesting. So again, I mentioned it already, acidity body imbalance is times two. Times two is important because that makes the score higher, right? So if you have a coffee that is amazing on acidity, uh, body imbalance, I would say go for it. If it's a bit less in aroma or flavor, it doesn't really matter because that's not where the points are, right? So it's about understanding where you can get the most points. Um, acidity points are usually very high if you have an acidity that is very complex, perhaps changing in, in temperatures. Um, but keep in mind, for example, that if you have a, a, a bad acidity or too intense or astringent or sour, then your acidity score as well as the balance score can go down, for example. Um, and if your aftertaste is really crap, then most likely your body score will go down as well as well as balance. So some of these attributes are connected and it's very important that you get the highest possible score on the ones that are connected. So I would say aftertaste, acidity, body and balance are the most important things uh, that you really, really need to focus on. Just the taste descriptors. I think this is a complicated one. I think a lot of us are is, is, you know, continuously challenged with this. Um, it's obviously, first of all, it's about delivering the taste notes in a way that people can understand it properly. That's very important. Um, it's relatively simple as well. They just have a score sheet going from aroma, flavor, aftertaste, acidity, body balance, overall. So I would suggest that you go through describing the different attributes in that order. Uh, you have hot, warm, and cold. Do you need to describe all of them? No, you don't have to. Can you if you want to? Sure, you can. I described hot aroma. Um, old warm attributes or from, from basically from aroma to body and then cold from flavor to body. Uh, balance, I generalize more. And overall, I just leave for the judges because that's basically the judges, right? Um, but that's very important how you chose to, to show that. Some people use like these little cards where they write stuff down. Nothing wrong with that. Also, nothing necessarily good with that. Um, from my experience, there's no feedback that tells me that you, you gain points or lose points because of it. It's just basically a stylistic choice. So feel, feel free to do whatever you want there. And I mean, keep in mind that judges are different. The calibrations are no calibrations. Um, there's always going to be a different idea about it, especially for natural to, to a world competition. There's very, very few national competitions where the, the judges' results are actually representative of what we can expect in the champ world championship. So uh, always we calibrate your national scores towards some kind of world judge. Otherwise, you just wouldn't know what you're up against. Uh, taste description, again, um, needs to be delivered properly. Of course, there needs to be a taste description that the judges also find, which is this can be a tough one. Uh, because they do have a different background than you have um, and you know taste might be different. We relied quite a lot on the SEA taste descriptors on how they work with their aroma kits uh, to identify what we believe is, is notes that they can identify as well. Obviously working with a very flavor intense coffee helps that as well. Uh, but it can be really tricky but um, key thing here and just focus on the main attributes in the coffee if you find six flavors, maybe take it down to four. You don't have to go all of them. Uh, perhaps most importantly, the description needs to be uh, what's up front, what's in the end, right? What's more intense, what's less intense. So if you say apples, or if you want to describe flavor, for example, and you say apple, uh, melon, jasmine, that's a pretty unprecise taste description. What you want to do is that, okay, we have intense apple notes in front followed by a mellow, melon character and a jasmine um, 
coming after and then an aftertaste or whatever that is, right? So you wanted to be a bit more thorough in describing it. Uh, customer service, and this is kind of an interesting one, I think, um, because this is a bit of a mystery. Obviously, it's about um, explaining what you do well, explaining what you do in a way so the judges can relate to you and understand you. More importantly, explaining why is the cup of coffee tasting the way that it's tasting. That's really the focus here. That's what you want to do. Um, previously in, in Brazil, and I got that question sometimes uh, after Boston as well now, whereas in Brazil I was grinding on stage, I was rinsing my paper filters on stage. Um, and, and I'm bringing my own brewer. And the question here is, does any of those three things actually add to the value of the scoring? I can see on all my score sheets that the judges had noted down as, as a positive thing. The issue though is that when you ask them, there's nowhere on the score sheet to actually um, um, increase your points. So customer service in Brazil was actually lower because uh, I was grinding my coffee because they thought the time I was grinding my coffee, I could have paid, you know, focusing on them. Where my argument was, well, it was a coffee shop experience and we always grind our coffee, but I was actually scored down lower. So personally, I, I probably don't see why I would ever grind on stage again or recommend anyone else to do it because it's really not increasing the, the scores. Um, rinsing the filters on stage, same thing here. The judges don't really care. Um, and I mean, in the end of the day, you can obviously do really tasty coffee by pre-grinding and pre-wetting, so why would you do it on stage? Uh, it's just more work that you don't have to do. Creating my own brewer, I think that's been debated. I think some of them, some people look at it as an innovative process um, and they write on the score sheet, well, that's fun, that's a bit of innovation. However, the reality is that it doesn't reflect on the score. Uh, and that's mainly because the judges don't have anywhere to put it. So customer service is about how well you explain what you do and how smiley you are and comfortable and how, how, you, make the feel the judge, how you make the judges feel. Um, it's not about innovative and brew method. And if we look at the head judge score sheet, I'll just take it up on the, the screen in front of me. Um, they're judging workflow and sensory uniformity. And workflow can be super high with any kind of brewer. It's just about how consistent you are with your brews, your pouring, uh, how clean you are, uh, and so on and so on. How, how much everything you do makes sense. They're not gonna score you higher because you grind on stage, right? Uh, sensory uniformity is just about how the cups are tasting, nothing else, right? Um, and here on the head judge, they're also writing down TDSs, but again, that's more for reference than anything else. My TDSs was pretty inconsistent in both runs, and that's not because the brews were inconsistent, that's because how they took samples this year was, uh, was an interesting process, most random I've seen in a long time with this spoon thing. And, the thing is that solids in a cup of coffee is not consistent throughout the cup. So uh, how the amount of solids you get is very much based on where you take them in the cup. So again, I wouldn't worry about TDS. Um, your coffees can taste very different even if the TDS is the same and your coffee can um, taste the same even if your TDSs are very different. Uh, I think that's some of the kind of main characters that I bought with me from this. Um, it's, it's important to understand the score sheet. I mean, read the rules as well. Um, I know that very well, as in pour the right amount of coffee and that's way better for you. But 
just keep this in mind and, and realize that uh, there's a lot of scores you're missing here because your taste description is maybe not where you want it to be or where your customer service is not where you want to be. A big part of the taste description score is actually going in your customer service score. So if your taste description is not proper, then you're actually going to fall down on points on your customer service, which is also pretty important to keep in mind. Um, Another thing here in the last kind of reflection, if you look at the score sheet, you see that the coffee and brewing information section on the sheet is actually pretty small. Um, and I think that's an indication of, you know, how much info do they actually type down? And they type down pretty little. So I think the key thing here is to stop generalizing when you do presentations and start focusing a lot more on being, being specific in what you do. Um, I think that's the, the main thing that I've been taking with me from judges now is that you need to be specific. It needs to be about your cup of coffee. Uh, they don't want to hear about a farm. They want to hear about your coffee on the farm, right? So try to be as specific as you can in your, in your presentations. Uh, with that, I think we're about done with the score sheet part. We have two more videos to go here and then, then we're done. Thank you. So welcome. Uh, we're having episode <laughs> or part 11 of this whole uh, reflection from Boston thing going on here. And um, one of the last points we want to talk about is um, a team or a coach or, or whatever you want to refer to it. There's a lot of people backstage in Boston that have some, some pretty you know, famous, really high-end high professionals uh, with them backstage, uh, which is amazing to see and, and, and meet these people. Um, in my in my own process, I haven't worked with a coach, um, and this that was the same for Brazil and it's the same for um, for Boston now as well. I obviously have my, my team member Joe with me, which is it's been unbelievably helpful, and everything has been running super smooth. And it's so important to have someone that can help you with with you know all the all the small stuff. Make sure you don't forget things. Um, and just help you prepare stuff so you can focus on what's really important. It's, it's priceless to have that. Um, I think uh, apart from that, the, the way I'm trying to work with it is to, to have people in my network around me on a continuous basis that I know can help me and that I know are much better than what I am. One of those people uh, is, is Kapo Chu from Cupping Room in Hong Kong. I ask him a lot of questions. He's been kind enough to watch my presentation uh, once before Brazil and then once before now as well. And he's the only guy I'm actually doing my presentation in front of before I compete. And that's, that's kind of priceless. Um, apart from that, I think what's important is that, I mean, whoever you chose to bring, uh, whether you pay someone or not, it's, it's about having someone that knows what you do, knows who you are, knows how you react in competition situations, knows what you're looking for in the coffee. I wouldn't recommend having someone in just for the actual competition, which I got the feeling that, that some people did. Um, that seems to cause more confusion than anything else. I mean, you need to be secure in what you do. You need to believe in what you do. Um, so whoever you have, they should understand you from the beginning and they should have been with you before the competition as well. I think that would be a lot helpful for you. Um, do you need a coach? No, you don't need a coach. Um, do you need a coach? Yes, you need a coach. I mean, it depends on perspective. You need to learn from people that are better than you are. Um, in you know, whatever way you choose to do that, that's totally up to you. What I can say is, is uh, I mean, it happens in Boston now. It happened in a bunch of nationals. It happens almost every year. Is that you get these few people that are, are clearly doing presentations that have already been done before. 
Um, and often that's related to them being coached by certain people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do believe that if you want to be in the very top, you need to find your own voice. You need to go down your own path. I'm not saying not don't work with these amaz amazing people. So, I mean, the systems works and they've done extremely well in the past and that makes sense, but they also did extremely well because they did their thing, right? Um, so I think that's a, that's a recommendation, right? As in, I mean, the judges, they've seen all of these presentations before. If, if they're gonna sit there and they judge someone that does exactly what someone has already done, don't expect that to be scored very high, right? Because then someone has already done it. So why would they score them high? So I would argue that, you know, f find your own voice in this and work with coaches that understands the, the importance of that. Um, works with team members that understand what you do, why you do it, and then just push for it, right? Sometimes it's, you know, you follow your path, you serve coffee, you want to serve, you need to stay behind that. Um, so to try to be honest to yourself in that, in that process, then it's up to you if you, again, if you work with coaches or not coaches. Um, at April, we have a pretty simple process where we, we, we do enjoy helping competitors, but we only help those that train with us. Um, meaning we don't just send random coffee to someone. Um, so it's, it's, it's an important process and it's a long-term process. The, the people I've been working with, I've been working with for two, three years um, in trying to help them do things, right? It's not that, okay, I helped you for one competition and it didn't, didn't go very well. I'm not gonna help you again. It's a, it's a process, right? We'll learn over time. Uh, so I look at all of this a lot more long-term, I think. Um, so, I mean, do you need do you need a coach? Well, I mean, that's up to you. It's up to you to, to be around who you ever want to be around. Um, you do need to get better. We all need to get better. I need to get better. Um, and we all have different processes to do that. Luckily, we're in a situation today where you can write most people uh, in this industry and they're going to give you an honest reply. So we're in a pretty cool situation in terms of being able to do things. Um, and I think for me, that was kind of the perspectives that I have on, on teams and coaches. So again, if you guys have any questions, just please write it down here. Um, we have one more video for you. So uh, have a bit more patience and, and then you finally finish all of this. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. We're here with the last video of these uh, 12 kind of episodes or reflections on the World Brewers Championship. And, in this, I just want to share with the main things that I will take with me from the competition and that I will think about in the future um, from, from, from a competition perspective, right? So step number one, uh, practice more diverse on compulsory. It's getting more difficult. Uh, we have a wider range of coffees here now that makes it a lot more challenging and it's time to diversify that approach to make sure that we, we stay on top of it. Um, step number two, uh, bring your own water. Uh, we didn't bring our own water based on previous experience where water has, has never been that much of a challenge for us. This time it really was. Um, no critique to the actual competition water. I'm, I'm sure that's completely fine, but water should be customized the way everything else is customized, right? It's, it's based on the coffee you're using and the style of brewing you're having. So we're definitely going to work a lot more on water in the future. Um, number three, and probably a bit of a random one here, but I mean, it's amazing how crap we are at food in at coffee events, right? I mean, we're, we're this industry of like people that want, want at least good stuff, right? Or like local quality stuff, and we still can't get proper food. So 
for the future probably be some kind of meal orders like pre-made dinner kind of thing um so that you can eat properly during events i think that's a big thing i probably lost like five kilo last week um i'll make sure to get those back but still something to think about um number four uh where are we what's the most important thing um i'm gonna definitely bring a coach i'm calling you capo <laughs> uh, i hope you're watching this i'm not sure if you do if you do then you know you're my coach uh, I'm going to make that happen. I would love to see uh, what I can do if I have Capo actually with me during the competition days. I think that can be a really interesting process. Uh, I hope you're up for it. Uh, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, I think I think that was about it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more we can learn. There's a lot more we can improve on, and, and we intend to do that. Again, com competing for us is um, uh, it's about learning. Uh, it's about moving forward. Uh, we're not about the titles. We're not going to put second best in the world on, on, on Instagram anytime soon. That's not what we're looking to do here. Um, a plus a company is, is competing so that we can learn, uh, so that we can get feedback, so that we can progress in what we do, which is trying to bring tasty coffee to people. So, um, I mean, we're always happy to do this. And for, for as long as we're in coffee, competitions are going to be a, a big part of what we do, winning or, or not winning, right? Um, but thank you guys for tuning in, especially you guys that actually seen all of it. I knew, I know most of you haven't because that's, you know, when people in coffee, uh, I think one, one thing I can recommend you guys is that uh, the kind of shallow shit interest that people seem to have in this industry uh, doesn't work. I mean, if you want to do this, if you seriously want to do this, then, you know, start by watching all the fucking videos and the full videos. Uh, start by, you know, dig, dig into something properly, right? Learn it properly. Don't just look at the surface. Don't scroll down your Instagram. You know, don't send one email to a person. Send a million emails, right? Because coffee is a complex thing. It's a difficult thing. Um, and I think if we're about to understand it, we really need to kind of deep dive into it. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for watching. This has been really cool. And, and with this, we're kind of closing the whole, the whole chapter on this competition. Uh, you're probably going to see uh, maybe one or two more posts on Instagram after these videos. But apart from that, we're more or less done. Um, again, we're, we're not here for the titles. We're here to learn, here to move forward. And, and that's what we're going to do. So thank you for watching. From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.